Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. The last couple of weeks, we took a look at the first verses of this chapter, and it speaks of perilous times. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And then he gives a list of some character traits of perilous times. He lists things like disobedient to parents. He lists things like unthankful, unholy, incontinent. He lists a, a number of things, and he warns Timothy, and he says, from that we should turn away. From the powerless religion, we should turn away. Because he says in verse number five, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. So there is a powerless religion, one that looks good, one that on the outside might look impressive, but really on the inside is full of dead men's bones. There's no power there. There's no life there. From that sort of religion, we should turn away. And then he says in verse number 10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine and my manner of life. He begins to go into this dialogue about how you see what they have over there is one thing, but what we have over here is a different thing. Because Paul knew that what he had was real. Amen? Paul knew the difference between a false religion and a real one. He was part of a false one. He was a Pharisee. Now, he read the word of God. He had memorized the word of God, but he wasn't trusting in God. He was trusting in himself. He knew full well what a fake religion looked like, and he knew the difference between a fake one and a real one. He had a real relationship with God, and that's what our church is about. It's about a real relationship with God. Because you can have a real relationship with God. Amen? You, personally, with God, having a relationship. First of all, that's incredible. That's amazing. That the God of the universe, who is from everlasting to everlasting, who knows all things, who is present everywhere, who is omnipotent and has all power, wants to know you and wants to know me. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we might be saved so that we could have a relationship with God. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the difference between real Christianity and fake Christianity. We took a look at kind of what we might call fake Christianity before in the last couple of verses. Now we're going to take a look at how Paul contrasts that with real Christianity. So the difference between a real and a fake Christianity, first of all, begins with a personal testimony. A personal testimony. Verse number 10 says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine and my manner of life. What Paul is saying to Timothy is that Timothy, he's writing this letter to Timothy, and he says, You know me. You have a friend who knows you. They know who you are. They've spent time with you. Maybe you went to school together. Maybe you worked together. Maybe you're family together. You grew up together. They know you. They know who you are. They know how you live. They know what you're like in the best of times, and they know what you're like in the worst of times. Well, Paul is saying, you've seen me through and through. You've seen me going through difficult times. You've seen me going through some rejoicing times. You know me. You know my manner of life. He had a real transparent life 
that others could see. And he says, you know the way that I lived. And he gives a number of traits that are there. We just read them in verse number 10. Verse number 10, he says, but thou hast fully know my doctrine, my manner of life. You know my purpose. You know my faith. You know my long suffering, my charity, and my patience. These are all great and wonderful fruits that we desire in the life of the Christian walk. Amen? We want to be patient. We want to be long-suffering. We want to be loving. We want to have purpose. We want to have the right doctrine. We want all of these things. Those are wonderful things. But the word that I want to focus on out of these, in, in this verse, is the word that's right before that list. In verse number 10, he says, but thou hast fully known, what's the next word? All right, all together, what's the next word? But thou hast fully known my doctrine. This is a very important word. It's a very significant word because there's a big difference between a doctrine and my doctrine. There's a big difference between a car and my car. There's a difference between a phone and my phone, right? If a phone gets lost, that's unfortunate. But if my phone gets lost, it's a disaster, right? It's a totally different thing. If it's mine, that makes it real. It's personal. It's, it's important to me. And that's what's so important about a real Christianity is you've got to make it yours. You've got to be able to put the word my before all of these things. This is not just the Bible. This is my Bible. This is mine. This is the Bible that I read. This is, it's not just the God, this is my God. This is a God that I worship. This is the God that I come before. This is the God that I pray to. This is the God that I trust. This is not just the doctrine, this is my doctrine. This is what I believe, and this is what I teach. There's a big difference that is there. There's a big difference between, he says, the manner of life. There's a big difference between the manner of life of my pastor and my manner of life. There's a big difference between, uh, uh, between the purpose that my parents might have and then also saying, this is my purpose. There's a big difference between the faith that my friends have and my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, and my patience. There's a big difference between mine and yours. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between my car and your car. I go looking for my car. I'm not really sure where your car is, but I know where mine is because it's mine. Real Christianity puts in front of all of these things that we believe in the Bible the word my. This is not just Bible Baptist Church. This is my church. This is not just the family of God. This is my family. This is my place of service in my church. This is my beliefs. This is my manner of life. This is my purpose. And all of that comes out in the way that you live. If you want to know what you really believe, just look at how you live. That's why Paul said, thou hast known my doctrine, my manner of life. He says, you know not just what I say, but you know what I do. You know how I live. You want to know what you believe? You just need to look at how you live. Do you love the Bible? Do you love the Bible? All you have to know about whether you love the Bible or not is how you treat the Word of God. Do you go to it? Do you read it? Do you memorize it? Do you think about it? Do you pour yourself into it? Your church, the doctrines, and all of these things? Because 
Paul said, you know that my Christianity is real because all of these things are mine. This is my purpose, my doctrine, my manner of life, my charity, and my long-suffering, and my patience, all of these things. He had a testimony before Timothy. He says, I know that you're going to be facing some of these individuals who will say a lot of things, but they're not going to live it. Remember the Pharisees, remember they put burdens on the widows, but they would not lift one of their fingers in order to help them. There's a big difference that was there. So Paul, of course, was a Pharisee. He knew all about laying heavy burdens on people and then not doing anything in order to help them. Whereas Paul now, after he's saved, he's demonstrating to Timothy, this is different. This is different. And real Christianity is different. He had this testimony that, first of all, he listened to God, but that was fully known my doctrine. He says, God has taught me, I heard him, and I listened to him. He had a testimony that he listened to God, and that not only that he listened to God, but that he lived for God. He says, that was known, my doctrine, my manner of life, and my purpose. He says, my purpose in life is to live for God. Paul's agenda was God's agenda. Paul's motive was God's motive. His purpose was aligned with God's purpose. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, Paul is exhorting the church at Rome, you live for God. You follow God and give your life over to the Lord, just like I'm living for the Lord. Luke chapter 19 says, here's Jesus speaking, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the purpose of Jesus Christ. He came to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And Paul was on a mission to find people who were lost and introduce them to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So here is Jesus Christ explicitly telling us, this is what I'm doing, this is why I came, and this is how I live, and that's the pattern that you and I should also live for. Thirdly, we also see a testimony that he loved God. We see that word charity there towards the end of verse number 10. The word charity means love. It has the idea of unconditional love, sacrificial kind of a love. And he loved God and he loved people. That was what Paul did. What Paul did was he loved God and he loved people. That's the first two commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. Also, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So here is Paul, and he's saying, all right, I've talked to you about perilous times. Perilous times are coming. You'll know that perilous times are here when you begin to see all of these things, when you begin to see these traits. But I want you to know, when you see these things, you turn away from those things, and you come and you follow the things that I have shown you because I have testified and demonstrated to you that my life is real that my Christianity is real. So we see, first of all, the difference between a real and a fake Christianity is the word my, a personal testimony. 
a, a, a way for others to see that this is real. I also want to take a look and see how a real Christianity is demonstrated in a persevering tenacity. In verse number 11, well, actually, let's go back to verse number 10. In verse number 10, he mentions a few things. He mentions the word long-suffering, and then he mentions the word patience. He needs both of these things because in verse number 11, he says, not only have you known the way that I live, but you also know what I faced. I faced persecutions. I faced afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. He says that you know the kind of persecutions that I faced and how I was patient through them. It's one thing to live different for a little while. It's another thing to see how somebody endures when they face difficult times. Because anybody can try something new, but it takes endurance to stick with it. You ever know somebody who went through a fad in life? They really were into something for a little while, really into video games for a while, really into this particular brand and buying whatever, really into, you know, basketball or sports or fashion or whatever, politics. You ever know people who they're really into something and then after a little while they're not interested anymore? You ever, you ever go through that? I've, I've, I've gone through that. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with video games. You know, I would want to play video games every minute that I could. Playing video games and, you know, on the computer. This is way back in the day, you know. You know, we had these old computers and Nintendos and stuff like that. Now, I don't have a single video game that I play. They're not even on my phone, nothing. I'm just not interested anymore. And um, I don't know, maybe one day I'll get back into it, but I'm just not into it anymore. I had a fad, I had a phase in life, but I passed on and I moved on. And now I'm into something else and I'm into different things. I have a family, I have a wife, I have kids. You know, that's what consumes my life and that's what's most important to me. But you've known those people who they go from phase to phase to phase, right? They're really into this, and then next year they're into something else. Trends come and go and all of these different things. But when it comes to Christianity, you know what people are looking for? They want to know if you're going to stick with it. They want to know if it's real. You know how they'll know when it's real? When you face some real trials and difficulties in your life, and you stick with God. When you're facing some real physical trials and tribulations, just like Job, remember Job? He faced some real physical pain. He faced some financial loss. He faced the loss, uh, the death of his kids. And remember what people are saying? Remember his wife? He said, she said to him, curse God and die. Why are you staying so faithful to God? Why are you following God? Look at all of the things that you're going through. Why are you still faithful to him? And remember what Job said? He said, you're speaking like the foolish woman right? When I was born, I had nothing. When I die, I'll have nothing. He giveth, he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. You know what he said was, he said, you know what? I don't care what happens to me. I'm staying with God. I'm going to be faithful to God. Every good thing cometh from above. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above. And we know that we will be tested. Verse number 12 says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall face persecution. Every one of us is going to face difficulties. Every one of us is going to face a friend, a family member, a coworker, mocking us for the way that you might live, for following the teachings of the Bible. And you're going to have a decision. 
you're going to have to decide, am I going to have a testimony that I'm going to be faithful to God no matter what anybody else says, or am I going to shrink in the face of persecution? Am I going to be faithful to God and continue to be a witness? Am I going to continue to be faithful to the church? Am I going to continue to live for God because I know that persecution will come? So as Christians, practically, one of the things that we could do is, first of all, because we know persecutions will come, many of you, I'm sure, are facing persecutions even today, and in the life that you live throughout the week, first of all, pray. Pray that God will give you strength to stand before persecutions. Also, prepare yourself. Don't, don't think of it as a surprise when somebody mocks you for, oh, you believe the Bible? Oh, let, let, let me ask you this. Do you also believe that God created the earth maybe, you know, six or 10,000 years ago? Ah, that's ridiculous. Oh, you're so silly. Oh, you're so anti-science. I can't believe that. Oh, you must, you must not have a very big brain at all. Right? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when your coworkers, maybe people that you respect, begin to look down on you because you believe the Bible that God created the earth in six days? Because he did create the, the world in six days, right? He created the universe in six days. We've got to make a decision. Verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Here's the thing, though, is those that live opposed to God live in deception. Let's not follow after those who are deceived. Let's not shrink before those who are deceived. Let us stand sure, knowing that we stand in the truth. Amen? Amen? Right? Thy word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so God tells us, we have something true. Let us stand faithful with it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read about some of these um, uh, uh, you know, famous people, successful people. And some of the stories are just fascinating. Sometimes you don't know the whole behind-the-scenes story, uh, but later on, you, 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 know, you read about it and things like that. And, and one of the stories that's just, you know, it's fascinating to me is the story behind Tesla and SpaceX. So all of you, I'm sure, know about Elon Musk, right? Started SpaceX, started Tesla, uh, electric car company, a space rocket company. Uh, so the history is, for those of you that don't know, he was a part of PayPal way back in the day, and there's a whole long story behind it. Anyway, that's where he got really rich. I mean, not just like a few million dollars rich, like hundred million dollars rich, like fabulously rich. So he got really rich, and then he's looking to, you know, okay, what do I do now? All right, I had, you know, was working with PayPal, now I'm really rich, what am I gonna do? And he started this car company, and he started this a space rocket company. I don't know where you get those ideas, but anyway, he had this idea. I'm going to start this electric car company. I'm going to start this space rocket company. All right, in the early days, before it got big like it is today. And he had these tens of millions. I don't know exactly how much it was. He had all of this money, and he was pouring it into these two companies. But these two companies were not yet making money, and they weren't profitable yet. And he's looking at, all right, in six months, we're going to run out of money. All right, what am, what am I going to do? Okay, I got these two companies. All right. If I give money to just Tesla and give whatever I have to Tesla, it's more likely to survive, but SpaceX is going to die. And he says, ah, oh, but 
you know, this is a really big company that I think is going to do big things. All right, maybe, what if I give all my money to SpaceX? Well, Tesla's probably going to die. Ah, but I, I don't want Tesla to die. So it's like, but if I, give, if I split my money and give it to both of these companies, I mean, you know, maybe both of them die. He's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Eventually, it got to the point where he was so low on money, he literally ran out of money. And he was taking money from other people. Tesla employees were writing checks to Tesla to help fund Tesla to keep going through this, you know, very low point until he could finally get through to the end. And I just remember thinking when I read that, I don't know about you, but if I had, let's say, $100 million and it went to zero, I'd be like, sorry, Tesla. <laughs> sorry, SpaceX, but I got to survive. I got to make money. I got to live. I got to do this. You know, I got to leave a certain amount for me. And yet he gave every penny that he had to these two companies because he believed in them. He said, I know Tesla's going to do great things. I believe in Tesla. I believe this, this idea is going to work. And I believe SpaceX is going to work. I believe we're going to launch things into space and it's going to be a great company. And he believed in it so much. He was willing to give everything, all of it away. Now we know the end of the story, right? Tesla, huge company. SpaceX is launching people into space now. I mean, th these are big companies because he believed in them. It didn't matter how much money or whatever, all of these things that he was pouring into it, he believed in it. And the thought that I had as a Christian was, does Elon Musk believe in electric cars more than I believe in God? Does Elon Musk believe more in launching things into space than we believe the Bible? See, people are looking to see, all right, now you're going through a tough time. Do you really believe God? Do you really believe the Bible? Are you really going to follow after God? One year after Winston Churchill became Prime Minister of Great Britain, he went to one of the local schools uh, there, obviously in Britain, and uh, gave a speech. He gave a speech that today that we know as the never give up or never give in speech. In that speech, he says, never give in, never give in, never, 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 in nothing great or small, large or petty, Never give in, never yield to force, never yield to apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. What a great encouragement for Christians. Amen? Never give in, never give in. You know why Winston Churchill said that? Because he believed in his country. He said this later on, do not let us speak of darker days. Let us speak rather of sterner days. These are not dark days. These are great days. The greatest days our country has ever lived. And we must all thank God that we have been allowed, each of us according to our stations, to play a part in making these days memorable in the history of our race. We live in great days, amen? I know that when we look around, it looks dark out there. It looks really dark. You see what's going on in the media. You see what's going on in social media. You see what's going on with how people live and what's being taught in the schools and, and what's being popular these days. It looks dark out there, but these are great days. These are great days for us to be able to prove Christ is real. The Bible's real. My salvation is real and my church is real. 
So the Bible encourages Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let us not be weary of well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So here is Paul. He's saying, you know that what I have is real. I have a real Christianity. And I have a real Christianity because I have a personal testimony. The way that I live demonstrates that I believe that this is real. I have a personal testimony. This is mine. My doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose. And he also says, you know that my Christianity is real. There is such a thing as real Christianity because of my persevering tenacity. I went through all of these persecutions, and yet I'm still standing here today writing these letters, preaching the gospel. Thirdly, what we see is that we can see a real Christianity by a powerful triumph. So in verse number 11, he mentions a few things. He says, persecutions and afflictions, we talked about that, which came unto me of Antioch at Iconium and at Lystra. He mentions these three cities to Timothy. Now, this is not a coincidence. So these three cities, he's beginning to, he, he just mentions the city's names, but I want to talk about what he actually went through in these cities. So if you want to turn there, you can turn there in Acts chapter number 13, and we're going to get into Acts chapter number 14. Here are the incidences that he experienced in Antioch, in Iconium, and in Lystra. So the first city is the city of Antioch. He goes into the city of Antioch and he begins to go into the synagogue, just like he always does. Every new city he goes into, he goes into the synagogue, he goes and he preaches the gospel, and the Bible says that many Jewish and religious proselytes followed him. So obviously he's going to the synagogue, which is where Jewish people would gather, right? On the Sabbath day, you'd have the Jewish people go to the synagogue. So he would go there, he would teach, and he would preach the gospel. And so obviously there were some Jewish families that were there. Also, there were some proselytes, some non-Jews who had converted to Judaism and were gathered there on the Sabbath day. So he's beginning to preach the gospel, and the Bible says that the Jewish and religious proselytes, they began to follow him. So they heard what he said, and they began to follow him they begin to listen to him. The next Sabbath, he goes back to the synagogue, and the Bible says that the whole city is there, all right? Took a whole week where everybody was talking about, hey, there's this guy here, Paul, and you got to hear what he had to say. I mean, it was just incredible what he was talking about. He said that the Messiah is here. He's not, we're not waiting for the Messiah. He has come. He began to talk about this Jesus Christ and how he was the Messiah. He died on the cross. He was buried, and three days later, he rose again from the dead. And if we put our trust in him, we can be saved. We can be born again. We get to talk about, well, you got to listen to this guy. Now the whole city shows up at the synagogue. Can you imagine? The whole city of Gardena showing up at our church. We heard about somebody who, who was here preaching the gospel. The whole city shows up. That's, that's what happened. Paul shows up. Barnabas is there. He shows up. The whole city shows up. Now, the leaders there obviously got jealous. Those that opposed what Paul was teaching got jealous. And so they, they began to see what happened, and they began to stir up the crowd. He begins to preach the gospel. People are getting saved. The word is spreading around. But in verse number 15, the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. So he goes to Antioch. He preaches the gospel. Jews and Gentiles are getting saved. They're trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. People get jealous, and they kick him out of the city. So he goes to Antioch. He's there, and he gets kicked out. So then he goes to Iconium, a neighboring city close by. They preach again. Again, Jewish people, Gentile people 
are getting saved, again, people get jealous. They begin to speak evil of Paul and the church, and they talk about stoning him. So now we're in Acts chapter number 14. In verse number one, it says, and it came to pass in Iconium. And then in verse number five, it says, after he had preached the gospel, people were getting saved. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. We have to kill these guys. Verse six, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and unto the region that lieth round about. So he's there at Antioch, preaches the gospel. They don't like it. They kick him out of the city. He says, okay, I'm going to go to Iconium. He goes to Iconium. He preaches the gospel. It's getting worse. They said, all right, we're not just going to kick him out. We got to kill him. And they find out about it and they leave. They go to Lystra. Verse number six. They were aware of it and fled unto Lystra. So he goes there. He begins to preach the gospel. A man who was crippled from birth is there, and he is healed by the power of God. So Paul raises up his voice. He says, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and he walked. And the people saw what he did, and they were like, these are the gods that have come among us. And so they named them Jupiter and Mercury, or Mercurius. And said, these are the gods that are come down among us. And begin to like basically worship them like they were gods. And Paul and Barnabas heard about it, and they ran out, and they said, no, 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 we're just people. We are just people, but we are trying to point you to God. It begins to tell them about God. Verse number 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. All right. Those that were in Antioch didn't like Paul, kicked him out. Then there were some in Iconium. They wanted to stone him. They show up in Lystra, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about, him, around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So this all culminates with this climax of they actually do stone Paul. Now, stoning is execution, right? They're literally taking these big old rocks and boulders and they're hurling them at Paul with the intent of killing him to the point where they assumed he must be dead by now. And all the disciples, they're just standing around Paul. Can you imagine? He's there, kind of mostly buried under this rubble of these huge stones, thinking, what do we do now? Paul's dead, and they're clearly not happy with us. What do we do? And then Paul just gets up and he goes back into the city. Can you imagine that? <laughs> oh, Paul, are, are you okay? <laughs> right? He's like, yeah, let's go. Let's go back to the city. He goes on to the next city, comes back to all of these cities, reinforcing them, and then he goes back. Okay. Now, why did Paul mention these cities, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? Why did he even mention these to Timothy? The reason why this is important is because Lystra is Timothy's hometown. Timothy's from Lystra. So when Paul goes to Antioch and he preaches the gospel, and there's a huge crowd and the word begins to spread, Timothy heard about it. Hey, there's a Jewish man in, in, in Antioch and he's preaching the gospel, and there's some amazing things happening. And then it comes to Iconium, and the word begins to spread. And then it comes to Lystra. Timothy's probably heard about Paul by that time. He may have even seen this crippled man to be healed. We don't know. 
But we do know that he got saved. He got saved. And Paul maybe didn't even know who Timothy really was. Maybe led him to the Lord. Maybe it was Barnabas. Maybe it was somebody else. We don't know. But he goes back home. We know later in the Bible, the second time around, he comes back to these cities. He comes back to Lystra. He meets Timothy, who has now been saved. Now he's kind of growing and more mature in the faith. And he says, here's a man of God that I want to minister with me. And he grabs him and they said, all right, let's go minister together. And they begin to move forward. So when Paul says in verse number 11, you know, thou hast fully known my persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, Timothy could very well picture in his mind exactly what he's talking about. He says, what persecutions I endured. But it's the next phrase that is important to Paul and to Timothy. Not the persecutions that they faced, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. When Paul says, you know God delivered me out of persecutions, he would have known exactly what he meant by that. He would have known exactly, oh, at Iconium, they wanted to stone him, and God let him know, hey, there's persecutions coming, and they left the city. He would have known that Paul was stoned in his hometown of Lystra, maybe just outside the city gates, and Timothy would have known that Paul, he didn't die on that day. He went back into the city. He moved on to Derby, and then later came back through Lystra. And Timothy probably would have saw Paul, who had been stoned, and is standing before him, speaking, teaching, in a victorious life. And as he goes home, as Paul goes back home, I'm sure Timothy's thinking, wow, this is real. This is real. God is real. This gospel is real. I mean, look at Paul. He was a Pharisee. He was an enemy of the church. And now he's preaching to start churches. This is real. And they begin to travel with him. Began to travel for a number of years. By the time that Paul writes this letter, he would have been with him for a number of years, seeing all that Paul had gone through. You could read through the book of Acts and see all that he faced, all that he experienced, all that he went through, and through it all, he was victorious. Because the best antidote to fake Christianity is to have a powerful, real Christianity. To have something that is real. So what does it mean for us to have powerful, real Christianity. Well, let's go back, 2 Timothy, chapter number 3, verse number 2. What does a fake Christianity look like? It looks like verses 2, 3, and 4. You know what real Christianity looks like? It looks like the opposite. Amen. It looks like the opposite. In verse number 2, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. You know what a real Christianity is? People who don't love themselves over everybody else, they love God, and they love others. It's the first and second great commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The second, covetous. You know what's the opposite of covetous? Generous, giving, sacrificing. You see proud or boasters and proud. You see those two things there. Instead of being proud and boasting, what's the opposite of that? Humility. We could go through this whole list. Disobedience to parents, what's the opposite of that? Obedience to parents. 
What's the opposite of unthankful? It's to be thankful. The opposite of unholy? To be holy. What's the opposite of to be false accusing? To only speak the truth. All of these things. At the end, ultimately, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. What's a real Christianity look like? We love God more than we love pleasures. You know what people are looking for is real Christianity. People have seen enough fake Christianity in this life. There's enough fake Christians. There's enough Christians who say they believe the Bible, but they don't live the Bible. And you know what the Bible says? We got to turn away from that false religion. That kind of Christianity, we got to turn away from it. See, we're facing perilous times. We're facing dangerous days. You know what we need? We need a real Christianity, like Paul had. Now, I don't know about you, but while we think that today is perilous, and it is perilous in many ways, at least in our country, when you read about Paul, those were, those were perilous times, were they not? I mean, you never knew what city you walked into. You might be stoned that day. Those were perilous times. And yet he said, but things will get worse. And many of the Christians did face terrible things throughout the years. We've been blessed in many ways. But I think perilous times are coming. They're probably here in some ways, and they're going to get worse. So what do we do about it? Do we hide? Do we run away? Do we just try to meld and kind of blend in with the crowd? Or do we demonstrate what we have is real, and what you guys out there is you need what we have? What you need is you need to be saved. What you need is you need a relationship with God. What you need is the power that only God can give you. And you too could have victory in your personal life if you would have the word of God. See, take a look at this doctrine. Take a look at this manner of life and this purpose. Take a look at this love and this long suffering and see that this is truly by the power of God. What perilous times needs from us is a real Christianity.